Uh, hey, friends, I wanted to say thanks for joining us for today's CP Table. I'm John Hansen, and this is Alex Davila. Uh, for our CP Table today, I just thought it would be incredible to sit down with, um, with a local doctor and talk about COVID-19. And so that's what we're doing today in this, uh, this CP Table experience. And I'm I'm uh, I'm like anyone else. I've been watching all this stuff over the last five six months, and there's been a few times where some doctors have gotten out there, and their videos have gone viral. And and <laughs> I don't know if that was good or bad for those guys, but there was kind of round one with those ER docs, and then there was round right. two with the. Uh, you know, the doctors, I think they were on the, the steps of the right, Capitol right, or something, right, right. all in their white coats. Yeah. And, and, and it's all, it's, it's very, it makes a huge impression. Because those of us who are not doctors, we have mad respect for doctors. Because you've paid a high price to learn things that most of us just don't have much awareness of. And so we generally value the perspective of doctors. And um, so I wanted for us to be able to have some conversation with a doctor that I know and trust as a friend and as a brother in our church that brings wisdom and medical perspective and spiritual perspective. And I just am so grateful that you're willing to take some time to, to join me. Well, thanks for having me. <laughs> this is uh, exciting when you had mentioned this. I just was excited to do it and just want to help uh, any way I can and just kind of I'm happy to give uh, my perspective. That's awesome. And, you know, some some of you uh, may or may not know Dr. Davila, but he has been uh, a doc in our area. Well, I don't know if all in our area, but 20 years as a doctor is a long time of treating patients and uh, in in hospitals and, and clinics throughout the region. Uh, he's seen, I would guess, tens of thousands probably of patients. Uh, but uh, my, my biggest question that I wanted to ask you is, uh, how does it feel to be famous? What, what, what I mean by this is that <laughs> he was on a billboard on the side of the highway as like, Dr. Davila, and his face was there. And every day I came back from Temecula, I would see him and be like, hey, what's going on, Alex? And uh, I just want to know, how does it feel to be Murrieta famous? You know, <laughs> it felt good for the time being, but it's worn off. It's I, worn off. It was probably over 10 years ago, so. <laughs> and I miss my chance. Every time my wife and I would go by, I said, honey, we've got to stop. And I'll pull, we'll pull over and I'll stand under it and we'll take a picture. Mm. And finally, when we got around to it, they changed the billboard. <laughs> well, maybe you'll get a chance again someday. Yeah. Um, so you, you graduated from the UCLA, UCLA Medical School. And you've been practicing medicine for 20 years. And I just wonder, like, what is... Uh, you, you work in the emergency room. You're an ER doc. What is like a crazy ER story that <laughs> that we would be shocked to hear that kind of thing actually happens and not just on TV? Uh, there are so many things, and there's actually so many uh, good TV shows that show you all the crazy <laughs> things that happen. Um, actually, it's interesting. Over the course of my career, I think I've even been contacted, uh, probably all ER doctors who have been doing it for a significant amount of time. I've been contacted by these shows even to turn in our stories. So most of what you see on Grey's Anatomy or ER or any of the other The shows, Resident. Yeah, The Resident, True Live, <laughs> or True Tales of the ER. I don't even remember what that one is exactly called. But they're all actually probably real. I, I can tell you one that I remember, and a lot of them are just out there and crazy. So we'll, we'll, we'll give the PG one. Um, <laughs> so I do remember... Uh, a patient at a construction site. Uh, he came in as a patient, and somehow 
he was walking without his helmet and uh, someone hit a knot. They had a nail gun up above. <sighs> they hit a knot. The nail goes and it is literally hubbed right through his skull. Did you say he walked into the He, ER? he was under. I'm sorry. Okay. He was walking under and someone on the second floor has a nail gun and they're <sighs> just, you know, doing construction stuff. I don't do construction stuff, but they are. Hits a knot in the wood and the nail shoots down into his head. And he's totally fine, but we get images, and there's about a two-inch nail in the middle of his brain. Oh, my gosh. And, um, and you have to deal with that. Yeah. So, so <laughs> I had to deal with that, but, you know, everything was working. Uh, his neurologic exam was great. And so I said, okay, just sit here. Don't move. Don't get too excited. I know you have a nail in your brain, but just, just try and stay relaxed. We don't want your blood pressure to go up. And uh, I contacted the neurosurgeon. And uh, then kind of he got admitted to the hospital. And a couple days later, I see the neurosurgeon. I was checking on the patient, too, like, what's going on? What's going on? He said, you know, I just said, I'm going to pull it out. I've called all around, and I've got to pull it out. But um, I'm going to give you a really good dinner. I want your (laughs) wife to come in, but don't get too excited either. But we're going to give you a really good dinner the night before, and then I'll pull it out and see what happens. And sure enough, fortunately for this man, um, the neurosurgeon pulled it out and he was totally fine. Amazing. But yeah, yeah. So Amazing. That's, it happens. Everything you see on TV does happen. Wow. That's crazy. Crazy. Yeah. I remember when my son had a sliver of glass that went through his foot, like oh. through from one side to the other. And we brought him to uh, you guys and without missing a beat, you dealt with it. And yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, I wanted to just, um, Share a scripture, and okay. then and then we'll talk oh, about yeah. it for oh, a second. Yeah. And oh, yeah. uh, and so this is in third uh, third John. It says, "Dear friend, I hope all is well with you, and that you are as healthy in body as you are strong in spirit." And so you know, this is one of those places in the Bible where the physical reality of who we are is addressed and that it's inspired by the Holy Spirit. I hope you are well in body. And we could talk for hours about what that means because there's so many facets to uh, preventative measures and, uh, and reactive measures to be well in body. But I want to ask if you'd be willing to share uh, about someone being made well in body, even though you are a doctor, that was outside of the confines of medicine. And so I'll give a little bit of the setup and then you pick it up and sure, share what sure, you sure. shared with me. But it was the end of church service a couple of weeks ago, and I'm just standing there before the congregation on our outdoor service and uh, was asking the Lord what he might want to do to touch somebody. And I had this I- image in my mind of a, a, of a silhouette of a human body with a, a pulsating, you know, red flash on the lower back. And th- that's to me a, a little bit of how sometimes God gives me a word of knowledge for something that he might want to heal. And I asked if anyone had that kind of thing that they would raise their hand. And I'm facing what I was thinking of the congregation, which is out in front. But in our current reality where we're doing the in, indoor outdoor thing, there's also a whole bunch of people behind me. So anyway, some people, a couple of people in front of me raised their hands and we prayed for them for healing. And one of the the couple of people we prayed for was, was healed over in front of me. And Glory to God. That was the end of the story, or so I thought. But what happened? Uh, uh, so I had uh, come to church that day. I wanted to go to church. Um, and I, I think 
some of my family had other activities they were watching at home. I said, no, I want to go to church. Um, so I, I live nearby. So I, I came to church and I was, I guess, in the patio on the left. And uh, I could see uh, this gentleman was behind John, more inside where the youth are. Um, and he raised his hand and, and I kind of looked at him and I was like, okay, he's there with his wife and his uh, son. And I said, was he raising his hand or is he just like, praying for the other people who raised their hand. And uh, so soon after that, church was over, and I, I thought I was led just to go and check with him. I said... The message was, tag your it that yeah, day. That, so. was, that was the message. So um, I was really just led by God. So I just went over there and said, hey, my name is Alex. I saw your hand up, and uh, I just want to know, hey, were you praying for the people, or did you need prayer for your back? And mm. he actually said no, I, I needed prayer from my back. And I was like, okay, mm. well, hey, we didn't miss you. I'm here. <laughs> Don't. And uh, I said, just kind of asked him what was going on with his back. And mm. he had said he had this uh, long history of uh, back pain and uh, surgery. Every, he kind of had asked about that with uh, previous physicians, but that's not always making what makes a back better. So that was decided, no, 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 just keep going with therapies. And so him and his wife told me he had a whole room in his home dedicated to therapies. He had done acupuncture and um, then just had all the, probably all the cool devices, which are helpful too, mm. um, that you can uh, get. And uh, he'd gotten Temporary relief. He says, everything just gives me temporary relief. I get a massage. It gives me temporary relief. But, you know, my back is just really bad. And I said, well, uh, I'm here. I'll, I'll pray for you. Um, mm. And um, didn't know what that was going to entail. But I absolutely believe. Uh, so you, you did you lay hands on his back? I did. Mm -hmm. So, okay. Thank you. Thank you. So I uh, said, where's your back hurt? And I touched it. And it was really, really tight. Um, and I was like, okay, yeah, this left side of your uh, L4, L5, your paralumbar <laughs> muscles, those are really tight. I can feel Don't that. Don't you wish that your doctor would lay hands on you and pray for you like that? It's your L4 and your L5. I can feel it. That's awesome. Yeah. So I said, well, well, let's pray and let's let's believe. And and mm. uh, I said, I absolutely believe. And and there's times in my in my life that don't have anything to do with being a doctor, but have to do with uh, being a son of God. Amen. And um, this was one of those times. And immediately, uh, as soon as I then started to pray and put my hands on his back, there was the Holy Spirit was there. And his back muscle was just like, now it was throbbing. Uh, not in a bad way, but more in a way where I, I believe the Holy Spirit is at work. So I prayed for him and I called everything I could remember from medical school <laughs> in alignment to how God had set things up and yeah. how God had designed it. Yeah. His nerves, his bones, his muscles, his tendons, um, everything needed to obey uh, and fall into the intent that God had. And prayed for him and looked at him and said, hey, how do you feel? And he said, it's all gone. I feel better. I said, well, that's <laughs> awesome. God's awesome. Of course God wanted to do that for you. Wow. Um, and I just said, just so you know, I am nothing special. <laughs> <laughs> so He didn't know you were a doctor. No, no. And I think that it came up and I said, you know, uh, I can't do this for people necessarily in, in a healthcare environment because not everybody wants to be prayed for, but here at church, free to um, uh, follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. 
and uh, just lean into uh, what God uh, has for us and how mm. good God wants to be to all of us. So that was awesome. That is such an amazing testimony. And when you were telling me about it the, uh, originally, that you, you like when you talked about feeling his his back throbbing, like it was yeah. in response to the Holy Spirit. Yeah moving in his body. Yeah. That's exciting. So, yeah. And just about that, that had nothing to do with me. That was just, that's what God was doing. Hmm. And so I, I guess I threw myself in there because I responded to, Hey, is that guy's hand up or is he just praying? And let me go and let me go check. Hmm. So that was cool. Cool to be a part of. I, I thank God for you recognizing like, okay, I just heard a sermon about tag, you're it. And then I saw that a guy was missed that needed prayer and then you just went for it. Yeah. A- and, uh, and since then you've, you've joined our prayer team. <laughs> you kind of were already on the prayer team that day, but that was, uh, I think God's way of saying, I need you there. I need you to be praying for people. So yeah. well done. Yeah, no, I'm ex- excited to do that. And I'm uh, excited to see God work. Um, I'm, I'm looking for our live stream. I wanted to see if I could uh, greet anybody, but it's sometimes uh, hard to hard to find. So I'll, I'll check in later. But uh, I wanted us to take a few moments and talk about COVID nineteen. Okay. Obviously, we we all are struggling with the pandemic, and uh, and I wanted to just start <clears throat> with this question: How should we posture ourselves for health and safety during COVID? Yeah. I mean, I, I think we've heard a lot of good information for, for doing this. Um, you know, um, washing our hands. I was thinking of what to say first, washing our hands. Or then we've also heard, heard of masks and wearing masks um, and that that could be helpful. Uh, we've heard that COVID-19, for the most part, is droplets. So we really increase our droplets if we sneeze or if we cough hmm. and... Um, uh, we may or may not have heard, I'm speaking, speaking to uh, people out there, that, um, oh, the masks don't do anything. You know, the virus is small and it goes right through it. I have heard that, too. The coronavirus is really small. Um, uh, but at the same time, uh, the masks are, are helping initially with um, when we, this virus came around and it was new to California, we saw it happen in New York and then it was coming here. And remember at that time, like, uh, there weren't any masks. We didn't, we didn't have masks. The whole United States didn't have masks. And we knew in the healthcare profession that you need these N95 masks. Well, actually the, even the N95, which get a smaller particulate matter than the, any sort of facial coverings we're using now, if we're using scarves or we're using what we call as level one or surgical mass, they're, they're definitely not going to block the size that uh, coronavirus is. But even our N95 supposedly were also not tight enough to capture the COVID-19 or to keep it out. But that's all we had. So that's what we were using. Um, so, so masking when you're in certain areas probably is good. Um, washing your hands, and then just being cognizant of where you are and also being cognizant, which we may get into later, of what your risk factors are. Hmm. So um, I think certain people are more susceptible than other people. Okay, let's let's talk about that. Should, should a person 
go to the ER or make an appointment with their doctor if they feel if they have a fever or or like if someone feels like I think I have COVID, how should they re- respond? Should they immediately go to the doctor or what kinds of symptoms should they wait to have uh, until they try to see a doctor or go to the hospital? I, I think first, if you get something like a even a low grade fever, a cough and body aches. In this day and age right now, you kind of have to think, I could have COVID-19. So what you would need to do then is to sort of isolate yourself. Hmm. And then a lot of that responsibility is on you to protect your family around you and then just other people in the community who are going to be around you too. Hmm. So you need to limit that. I would say say that's the first thing. Um, And then uh, Riverside County, here we are uh, in Riverside County, they, they have a lot of resources for testing. I would say even get tested. Hmm. Um, but when you're sick with a low-grade fever and a little cough and body aches, uh, take care of yourself. Get rest. Tylenol or Motrin for your aches and your fever. Um, eat regular meals. But then also kind of isolate yourself maybe in your room or where you can do that. Or And maybe- at what point should I go to the hospital or the doctor if, if I feel like I might have something like COVID? Yeah. So first... Uh, what I would say is before the doctor is go get tested. Oh. There are these free sites, I believe, all over the county where you can get tested. Um, and then that may take that may take three to five days to come back. I'm positive. I'm negative. If you get more sick than what I've described beyond a fever, kind of achy, beyond like a flu. So you should COVID should feel like the flu. But if you get sick beyond that, like I can't breathe hmm. and like. I am hacking up a lung, hmm. then then really go to the emergency department. I would almost say you can have, I know a lot of doctors are doing tele, uh, telemedicine and, and they can still, you can still have, the, I'm not telling you not to go see a regular doctor, but a lot of times they end up referring patients just to the emergency department. At that point, you're beyond a normal flu, go to the emergency department. Hmm. So you're in a very interesting position because uh, when when we've referred to over the last five six months the 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 front line the front liners like er doc is pretty much front of the front line and i'm curious about how you've perceived covid19 and in particular uh, what has been your response to covid19 over the six months i don't know about you but i've experienced probably a lot of us have uh, a bit of transition. Like I felt one way on March 15th and March 20th, uh, differently from April, differently from May. And there's been this, uh, this transition. I wonder what was your perspective at first, medically speaking yeah. of COVID-19 yeah. and then how has your response to COVID-19 and coronavirus sort of morphed or changed over these six months? That's a, that's a great question. Uh, first off, I would say I'm really grateful for um, the COVID-19 that has that we've experienced here in Southern California in mm. Riverside County. Um, in the beginning of March, my colleagues and myself, we were ready to go to war. Wow. I was I was thinking, okay, uh, this is this could be it, but this mm. is what I signed up for. Um, and um, so I'm gonna go do it. I was concerned about myself. I was concerned about personal protective equipment. Uh, Did we have enough out here in Southern California? I actually pursued buying my own uh, PAPR, which is almost like when you watch any of those movies on Outbreak. I actually did buy my own PAPR, (laughs) which is kind of the moon suit uh, that you walk in. Mm. 
but that's another story. I ended up having to take it back because it was not working correctly. <laughs> um, but, but I will say this, um, every hospital that I've worked at in Riverside County has done a great job with personal protective equipment and providing me uh, as the physician in the emergency department on the front line with personal protective equipment. Um, places I've worked at have provided cappers, which are even better mm. than a papper. It's uh, almost a football helmet I wear that with this shield that I'm sealed in there. Mm. So actually I can still talk with the patients. I can still listen to their heart and lungs, but I'm very protected. Mm. Uh, all my mucous membranes, my mouth, my nose, my eyes are like sealed in there. So, so you, at the beginning you're coming in, I'm ready for war. This is what I signed up for. Yeah. It's going to be crazy. And then, uh, how, how, how have your perspectives, uh, on COVID-19 either stayed the same or shifted yeah. since so then? Very quickly we were waiting. Hmm. Okay. It's not this week, next week. Okay. Not, not this week, next week. That being said, um, I feel like the tidal wave of New York, we all got to witness New York here in the United States. And then we saw Europe, uh, places in Europe, but that didn't come to us. Mm. That being said, I don't want to minimize, uh, anybody cause people, co coronavirus is real. Uh, people did die. People are dying. People are in the ICUs, uh, different people respond differently when they get the infection. Um, can I ask more about that? Why is it that some people get really sick uh, with COVID-19 and other people just don't seem to have al almost any any uh, symptoms at all? What What is up with that? Um, I, I, would, I would say, what I would say is there's people who have uh, pre-existing conditions. Um, uh, ob obesity is one of them, diabetes, high blood pressure. And, uh, and then, and then also just as the older we get, we, we don't do as well when you get the coronavirus infection. So hmm. some people could, uh, just be older and have all three or four of those things. And then hmm. if they get, if they get coronavirus, it, uh, tends to have its way with them or, uh, hmm. particularly we need to be careful about, uh, seniors who are in communal living, like assisted livings or places like that, where if one person gets it and then it can, can get transmitted to the rest of them. And that's a more susceptible population. Hmm. So that, that seems to hold true even here. It's holding true everywhere. So that, so you just mentioned, I'm grateful for the COVID-19 that we've experienced because yeah. it, but right. I, I, can you say more about that? What, yeah. what, yeah. what, um, what have we seen in our micro region in terms of the spread of COVID-19? So initially, it eventually did come. I'm, I'm remembering back to the middle of March, end of March, April, um, and um, people seemed actually to me sicker then. I don't know if that was related because it was colder, um, but um, there weren't as many cases as we expected, but people were sick. Mm. Um, and there were more patients in the ICU. April, May, it's sort of kind of where to go, where to go. Wow. Um, and maybe that was our, at that point in all of California, we were staying in place. So uh, I, I, would th I would think that helped some to keep the numbers down. And remember the mantra at that time was we didn't want to overwhelm the healthcare system. Hmm. Um, Did the healthcare system ever get overwhelmed? I would say no. 
I would say no. Um, we actually, in the emergency departments that I'm associated with, and I'm associated with several emergency departments throughout Riverside County, um, we were actually working less because people were also staying at home, staying in place, and staying out of the emergency department thinking that uh, the coronavirus is there and they didn't want to get exposed to it, wow. which was probably, that was probably wise. Mm. Um, but we have volume wise, we've seen our volumes drop um, all throughout, uh, all throughout the county. Wow. Uh, and I, th I think that holds true to emergency departments throughout the country. Mm. Um, so, so we, I never saw the uh, system, the healthcare system being overwhelmed. Um, mm. That's what I would say. So we, we have the reality of COVID-19, coronavirus, or SARS-CoV-2, yes, COVID-19, all, what yeah. all those names. Yeah. But how, how does it really spread? Because it feels like, you know, in March they were saying one thing, and then in April they're saying another thing, and yeah. then some of us just shut down. Like, oh, yeah. okay, well, if you can't even tell me how it spreads, then I just don't even believe it spreads. Right. Right. What have we learned now? Well, Where is it now? How does it spread and what do we do about it? I, I mean, pick, picking up there, it, it does spread. It's transmitted in the community through human contact, close contact. Uh, it's definitely, um, we have focused on mass, hmm. uh, but it's also your mucous membrane. So people don't think about your eyes, um, but it could actually be transmitted. Uh, through your eyes. So, hey, if you wear glasses, that's protective. <laughs> um, but then June and July, I guess uh, we did get out and I can't, I can't remember all the, uh, uh, as businesses started to close, maybe, maybe restaurants and things were open then, or, or people I think were tired of staying in place. So then we saw a pickup of coronavirus in June and July. Hmm. And that looked very different than March and April. Um, and I think if you look at certain graphs, they'll even say there was a pickup there about June, July. But that looked like the flu. They were young people, healthier people, and we would see increased numbers of them in the emergency department, and we sent them all home for the most part. Do you think that reflects that uh, people who are more vulnerable were opting to self-select to do more of the staying in place and that it, it, was, it was younger, healthier people who felt maybe, you know, in, you know, impervious or whatever, going out there to the parties and the beaches and the, or, or, or did the virus just decide to start targeting young people? <laughs> I no, I, I think the staying in place, mm -hmm. people were probably tired of staying in place. So then people were out, uh, communi communing more and hanging out more and getting coronavirus more, but mm -hmm. they did fine with it. Okay. Did fine with it is, is an uh, interesting, I mean, not, interesting and, expression. And, and I, I say that. <laughs> it's not everybody who did yeah. fine with it, but but the numbers as a whole, people. So, I mean, this will probably be way out of my depth. I already know it is, it, the, the question that's forming in my mind. I want to know, you know, if, because if, I've been praying that doctors and scientists would come up with treatment protocols and 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 cures and and, uh, and whatnot, and and... And then we heard about the whole hydroxychloroquine thing. And then some of us just decided, see, that's it. That's the solution. And, and, and then it was, you know, I, I just would love to know from a medical perspective, what, what are we seeing in terms of therapies, cures, treatment protocols? Are they getting there? Uh, you know, um, and what about okay. hydroxychloroquine? I, I, I will try and answer all those questions, okay. but if I miss them, just redirect me. Um, 
I am a uh, community doctor. Mm. Um, I, I'm not a, a researcher. Uh, I take care of patients. Um, and uh, again, I've been doing this for 20 years. Um, when a patient is really sick, I'm going to give them everything that works. And there's a saying we say in medicine, I'm going to throw the kitchen sink at them. Mm. Sometimes I do that when I just want to give them every chance they have, every medicine I have to get better, then I, I want to help them in that way. Now, not all that medicine is evidence-based, but mm. there's a lot of things we have done historically in medicine that aren't evidence-based, mm. um, but we do them. Uh, and I've, I've heard it said that, um, you know, there needs to be a vaccine before we can go back to living our lives uh, previous to COVID. But mm. there are so many viruses out there that mm. we don't have a vaccine for. So I, coronavirus is novel um, and people have died and are dying from coronavirus. OK, let's talk about that. Because I think that is one of the hot button issues mm -hmm. right now. People have died. And then instantly we go to a big number. You know, mm -hmm. I think it's 190 yeah. plus thousand people, Americans who have, depending on how you want to structure the semantics, have died of COVID-19 or died with COVID-19 or died caused by, I don't know. Yeah. And then yeah. we get into the these things that, I mean, the the average Joe like me is not qualified to even understand these things but I and then the jargon changes so you've yeah. got you've got I hear mortality rate I hear fatality rate and then I I I read I was just I'm trying to I was yeah. trying to get ready for this yeah. conversation yeah. and I was trying to dig into that a little like what's the difference what is it and then I found this that there's a difference between a, a case fatality rate and an infection fatality rate and I I I wrote down that what I read about it and I still don't get it I'll share it with you and then yeah. I'd love okay. to ask you to sure. help all of us sure. understand this. Okay. Uh, it, the case fatality rate is the total number of deaths divided by the total number of people that have the disease's symptoms. In yeah. contrast, IFR, the infection fatality rate, is the total number of deaths divided by the total number of people that carry the infection. Right. What is going on with all of this I, infection fatality, case fatality? Is it 1% or is it... Point to, you know, what? All right. Okay. So um, the case fatality rate says, hey, how many people have tested positive for coronavirus? Hmm. And then how many deaths do we have? So I want to say, and my, my numbers as of today could be, or they're probably near what they are. I want to say we have about 1,100 deaths. I want to say we have about... Uh, 57,000 cases. So if you work those out. Are you talking Riverside? Riverside. I'm just okay. talking Riverside County. Okay. Sorry. Just talking Riverside County. So which which is probably comparable when you go out bigger also um, as far as speaking at the state of California. Um, so anyways, that would be a case fatality rate of about 2%. 2%. Two, two of case fatality rate. Yeah. Okay, now, and, then what, and then how does that translate into the infection? Yeah, infection is different. Infection is interesting. So um, then you have uh, that Stanford study, and uh, they were focused on seroprevalence. And Let's talk about that for a moment. Okay. Um, 
and, and Dr. Davila recommended that we include in the in the notes or in the comments uh, the the video that was recently done by uh, Dr. Zubin Damania. And yeah. Dr. Zubin Damania is a Stanford trained doc, and uh, he interviewed another Stanford doc that had done this study that right. Alex is Dr. Davila is referencing that really kind of presented a different picture about right. this whole fatality rate, whichever one it is. Right. But so, so it, it, hopefully that'll be in the comments for you, the, a link to that if you'd like to pick it up. It's about an hour long. It's yeah. very in-depth. Two Stanford docs, one who's a researcher. It gets really yeah. intense. But I think they do a good job of keeping it simple, too, okay. as, simp as simple as can be kept. Yeah. Um, so the infection, though, uh, fatality rate... Um, based on his study in Santa Clara, and yeah, I believe we all kind of remember hearing about this study in about April, uh, was he was using antibodies and he had uh, done antibody testing. Um, and that's not the test that we do when we just see, does someone have coronavirus? Uh, and anyways, uh, what he could, uh, and my impression is extrapolate from that, was that there was much more exposure and uh, people showed that they had carried antibodies to coronavirus. So then at that current time in Santa Clara, uh, it was thought that there was about 1,000 cases of coronavirus, but his study would say, no, there was more like 50,000. Hmm. So then what that does is that brings down the infection mortality rate based on his study would uh, say that uh, that's about 0.2%. And that means of all the coronavirus that's out there, um, and then the death doesn't change, um, but uh, when you do that that simple division there, then you get um, this much, much lower, lower rate, rate. Uh -huh. which is still higher than influenza. Hmm. Uh, and then he would say this has been proven all over the world in other studies, getting similar numbers of an infection mortality rate of about 0.2 to 0.3. He would also say though, uh, that if you have some of these comorbidities or if you're older, uh, then your rate could be as high as good, high as 0 0.5, 0 0.6 um, if you were one of these more susceptible populations. And then if you were a young, healthy kid, your rate would be down even less than 0.2 to like 0.1. Um, but in any case, that's, those rates are much better than the case. <laughs> Yeah, want to get these these uh, and much better yeah, than what than, was first yeah, put out yeah, there. Yeah, put out there at two or three percent because they would both agree if uh, the infection uh, mortality rate is two or three percent, you lock down everything because then you're gonna have deaths in the United States in, in the millions. Hmm. Um, so, and and epidemiology, I get is is weird and difficult for people to talk about. I'll just add this on here. I'm an emergency doctor. Hmm. Un unfortunately, death is a a part of what I do. I see people die all the time and I know not everybody does. Yeah. And I have to, that's something I have to be sensitive about as a doctor. Uh, some people only deal with death when it comes on them for that family member, or it might be grandma, your uncle, your great, great uncle, or, or, or the tragedy that, that comes on. Uh, but I, I, I walk in those waters every day. Mm. And, and so that's where I just need to remind myself to be very sensitive and, and, and I know death is scary. Um, but, but I also think God, God is with us. And yeah. uh, if we Amen. have a hope for heaven, Amen. um, it doesn't have to be that scary. 
Um, but maybe that's an, that's another talk. It is another talk, <laughs> and we do believe that 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 the ultimate revelation about death for believers is it it is appointed once to die, and yeah. and that that means something that it's it's appointed as in this is it. it it's not that God is going, oh, no, she caught coronavirus. I can't believe that happened. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that yeah. somehow there is a way in which that, that appointment w- would would happen, whether it was a car accident or coronavirus. And the car accident thing is, I think, for me, it's been important because as I've been, I definitely have had like a, a journey on this whole thing at the v- very beginning shut the doors. I'm not even letting my own mother in the house, literally like, and I'm not going in her house. We went to my mom's house and dropped off a donut. We put it on the front doorstep, rang the doorbell and ran away. And and we did it with gloves and sprayed it all with Lysol. I mean, it was, I was there, you know, and I've rounded a bit of a corner. It's been a long rounding though. And then, (laughs) I mean, the friction obviously in, in our culture is it, it related to the fact that, you know, some of us rounded that corner ahead of others. And then we look back at the other people that haven't rounded the corner yet and go, you fools, you know, and then everything gets ugly, Uh, you know, but at the same time, I do think that what, what a lot of us arriving at is, you know, there's always risk in human existence and we embrace it and we, we get our minds around it. I mean, the, the classic example is, you know, we, I want to go to San Diego uh, to do that, I, I most likely want to get in a car and I'm going to drive 70 miles an hour. That is inherently risky. In fact, 37,000 people a year on average in this country die doing yeah. that. Yeah. And so maybe I should say, well, that there's a risk of fatality. Um, and therefore I just, we have, we could say, well, therefore you can only, anyone can only drive at five miles an hour. And that's, that's the way we're going to make sure nobody dies of that. But somehow we've all gotten our minds and hearts around, you know, it is inherently risky, but nevertheless, we do, we value what we can do by driving and getting places more quickly and whatnot. And I, I wonder if maybe you could speak to this. I know you're a doctor and and your perspective is the medical one generally, but my feeling has been we've, we've assumed that there was only one battle worth winning the battle against coronavirus. And it has felt to me like in the process, we've given up even fighting some other very important battles. I deal with a lot of people who are in in immense levels of depression higher now than I've, I've ever seen as a pastor, like just dealing with people in hearts and and dealing with economic fallout uh, uh, of jobs lost, wages lost, personal dreams of a business gone, and all those kind of things are real and have their own set of terrible consequences. And I I wish that we could find a way to say, how about we we don't make it so... uh, uh, so either or, and how about we f- learn ways to both acknowledge the danger and severity of COVID-19 and, and do the, the reasonable and smart things to mitigate that risk. But also let's, let's look at the other things that are that where the damage is growing and creating other kinds of terrible problems. And I think we need to, what do we do about that? Is this disease, is this virus ever going away? I mean, you're a doctor. Yeah. You should know. <laughs> um, well, this is going to put me on the spot. Mm. Um, I think there's potential for a vaccine. Again, I just mm. want to caveat. I'm a, I see patients. I'm a community doctor. Mm-hmm. So I'm not on those front lines. 
of uh, trying to develop a vaccine. Um, but we have a vaccine for the flu we get every year, which half the time doesn't work. Did I say that? Did I say that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so I don't know that a vaccine answers all the questions. Mm. Um, I, I don't think coronavirus is going anywhere. Maybe I'm going to be wrong. Uh, and maybe I'm wrong on that. I think we're going to incorporate it into uh, and, and be more be more aware of COVID-19. Coronaviruses have been around forever, but but now there's COVID-19. So um, hopefully they can develop a vaccine. Is that going to be a, a great, tremendous vaccine or is it going to be like the flu vaccine? I'm not sure. Hmm. Um, I would think coronavirus is going to be around. Hmm. Um, and then I'll let other uh, epidemiologists, public health people, we'll have to see what they say as to even even our immunity and that we, we build immunity and can we build immunity to this um, as we're exposed to it as a world population. So we'll, I guess we'll see, but I don't think it's going away. But I also then I want to hit on, keep going with what we were saying previous to that. Um, yeah, there, there are risks in everything we do. And I, I agree with what you were saying, John, it seemed like your sentiment uh, was, yeah, there are, there are inherent risks in living. Um, and uh, it seems like uh, the cost of some of the shutdown and the ways we shut down is so detrimental uh, to people in other ways. Um, so I, and, and that's been my experience. I've, I've, you know, you see it in your own family. Um, and I have uh, kids who want to go to school hmm. and they can't do that right now. And I mean, they want to be connected to their friends socially. They want to do activities. Uh, they've been working in this system of school and education, trying to make and, and you know, trying to make all the right decisions. And then my daughter is a senior, and no. she just says like, "Well, why am I doing all this? What is wow. it? Why is it? What's what's the point?" Yeah, um, she's tried to take the SAT four times and mm. been denied four times. But mm. um, so 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 so. Yeah, I, I realize it's yeah. kind of putting you on the spot a little, <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. but I, I, yeah, I guess I, 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 I wish we could. I wish yeah. we could find ways to both reasonably right. respond. Well, <laughs> and and I think I mean school is a great example to use as uh, we're mandated by California to not be in school, and and I think some uh, private institutions are getting their waivers, which is great, uh, and then I guess we've got this new color system for mm -hmm. all the counties, uh, from the state government. Um, but it seems like what to me is really American is, is choice and freedom. Mm -hmm. And, um, hmm. I, I think there's education that has the great opportunity to, to demonstrate the freedom that's there. Hey, there's teachers who want to teach. There's kids who want to go to school, let them go to school. Hey, there's teachers who are, have a little bit of concern and would like not so much student contact and their mm. students and parents who have a little bit concerned and would like a hybrid model, mm. let them do that. And then there are teachers who probably have some risk factors. They're older in age, near their retirement, maybe have some comorbidities. And you know what? It's absolutely safer for them to continue with the virtual teaching. And then there's other, there's kids who are probably have risk factors and comorbidities and parents who maybe have children like that or have more concerns, and then they could continue with virtual. Mm. To me, that seems to be what's great about this country, why 
people want to get to this country so bad and it seems to be maybe I'm not talking gospel here. I'm talking American dream here. So <laughs> I appreciate that, Dr. Davila. It's been a, a pleasure to just be able to talk with you openly, candidly. Thank you for helping us kind of understand better what's going on with coronavirus, COVID-19 and and maybe when uh, maybe a year from now we'll we'll sit down again and yeah, debrief yeah, what happened yeah. since. Um, but uh, I wanted to just uh, say thanks for joining us. A few people that I that I recognize here: Linda Miller and Ann Gilroy and Trace and uh, Susie and John and Danny Martins and Pamela and Marcy and Monica and Lindsay and so many more. Thanks for taking some time to be a part of this conversation with Dr. Davila and I. And uh, I'm I'm grateful that we we can do this, yeah, that we can yeah. have a dialogue and yeah. that even in times where, that where uh, people are kind of going a little bit crazy, it's still possible yeah. to say, hey, maybe maybe we don't have the exact same conclusion, yeah. but let's just dialogue. Let's yeah. <laughs> explore I would, I'd encourage everybody to mm. dialogue with people who think differently than you, but mm. just dialogue and hold your emotions. And then not that you're going to change the person, but I think that's part of being human. And, and that's what Jesus would have us do, too. Awesome. Well, uh, Alex, thanks for joining yeah, me. Thanks for having me. And uh, to everybody who's been a part of the CP Table podcast today or, or checking it out uh, later, thanks for being a part of it. Check in with you soon.